But we've been in the series called uh, Life Together, how we do life as a church, like how we do life together as a church, and what does that mean for us? And we've been working through this framework that um, Rich has given us um, around this acronym for life. And we are looking at not only what it means for us collectively, but how we live our lives individually. But here's what I love about us as a church, how we do life as a church. We are an authentic community of people who are doing three primary things. We are following Jesus, we're committed to being changed by Jesus, and then we're committed to leading other people to do the same. So how do we do that? That's where this life framework comes in. It's simple. If, if we just leave it at we're following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and leading other people to do the same, it's easy to come up with the question of how. How do we actually do that? What does that actually look like? What does that actually mean practically? And maybe some people go, well, I need to go and become a Bible scholar, or I need to spend 24 hours a day in prayer, or I need to stop eating altogether and fast, or I need to just start getting on social media and telling everybody what's wrong with their opinion. None of those things are really what's most effective. So practically speaking, in the rhythm of our everyday life, we came up with this, these simple invitations. How we do this? We simply invite people into our life. What does that look like? We invite people into what we're learning. Not just learning uh, through our experiences in life, but through our relationship with God. Have you ever invited somebody into that? It's a different type of conversation when you just get to invite somebody. You know, I've been thinking through this, and God's been showing me this, and I've been praying about this, and what do you think about that? Like, that conversation will change a friendship. It's also inviting people into where we're investing. Where in our life are we investing our time, our energy, our money, our skills, our talents, whatever it is, we are invested. There's things that we care about. There's causes that we're connected to. And it's an opportunity to invite people into that. And then we invite people into life with our family and friends. We don't need to separate the two. So many people that are new to faith, people that are new to following Jesus, they're probably walking out of a life where they had a bunch of influences that weren't great. And we have an opportunity to invite them into what our family chaos and dysfunction looks like, redeemed by the goodness and grace of God. Amen? It's not into perfection. It's into reality. And with a new group of friends. And today, we're going to end this with what we enjoy. What are the things that we enjoy in life that we can invite people into? Well, what I'm going to answer today is I want you reflecting on that all morning. So think through, like, what are the things that I enjoy that I can invite people into I'm going to unpack not only a personal journey and story, but the significance of enjoying life. Because I don't know about you, but maybe if you've looked around in the landscape of the world today, uh, the people, meaning the church, the Christians, who should be the happiest, most joyful people, most loving, caring, compassionate people, the most proactive and initiating people, are oftentimes some of the most miserable, the most selfish the most depressed, the most victimized. And they live not to the potential and the capacity that God has invited them to. But there's something that happens that in spite of the circumstance that you are going through, when you choose not to 
put your head in the sand and not to say that it's not going to get better, but say, I'm going to find something in my life that I can enjoy that's going to remind me of who God is. That your world starts to shift. The way that you view things start to shift. So uh, we're defining enjoyment this morning as this. Enjoyment, that's the wrong slide. Enjoyment, that's the wrong slide. Enjoyment is the ability to find pleasure and joy in life. I think it's really important. We're making it active. This isn't a noun. This isn't something that you're hoping to attain or achieve. This is a verb, meaning you have to do something. It's the ability to find pleasure and joy in life. Now, don't get ahead of me because I know some of you are like, oh, I can find that real fast. Scripture sees enjoyment as the capacity or the capacity for enjoyment as a gift from God, whose people, his people, are to find pleasure and happiness in him and the many blessings that he's given to them, to us. That's how we are defining enjoyment today. And by enjoyment, I mean, I want you to think about the thing that at the end of a long, terrible week, you are looking forward to. Forget the weekend. At the end of a bad Monday, what's the thing after tomorrow, when it hits the fan at work, that you go, if I can only get to 5 o'clock and get home and do this one thing? I don't know, maybe it's enjoying food, cooking for your family, cooking for other people. Maybe it's some sort of game or team that you're on that you get to play a competition with some friends. Maybe it's just reading a good book. Maybe it's listening to good music. Maybe it's, I've already talked about food, but I've talked about cooking it, not enjoying it. Maybe it's tasting, it's savoring the flavors. I don't know what it is for you. It could be fishing, hiking, cooking. I just said the savoring the good flavors of good food. It could be music, board games, book clubs. Maybe it's serving other people. Maybe it's gardening. Maybe you're one of those people that have convinced yourself that gardening is something more than yard work when it's just fancy yard work. Maybe it's stressing out until the fourth quarter when Russell Wilson and the Seahawks finally decide to show up and play. Like, because it's three quarters of you don't know what's going on. What is it for you? Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to stop talking because I've been talking really fast and for about five minutes. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them what that thing is for you. What's the thing that brings you pleasure and enjoyment and peace and you just, it's the thing that you look forward to. Tell the person next to you. If it's your spouse, you can say date night. Did we come up with some good stuff? All right. What were some things? Throw them out at me. Donuts? Amen. Donuts. What else? What? Grandbabies. Absolutely. Date night. Go. Cross stitching. Amen. In the back. Puppies. 
I felt that same way once. <laughs> what else? Oh, you don't even raise your hand, just yell. Amen. In the back. Laughing with friends. That's even biblical. <laughs> Says laughter is the best medicine for a crushed and broken spirit. It's like the book that we base our entire faith and eternity on says laughing with friends is a good thing. And it's usually the result, that is the outcome of intentionally inviting people into something that we enjoy. But there's some things that get in the way all too often. We know what they are. Busyness. We're just stressed out about everything else, all the problems that we're trying to control or solve or fix that we can't. So what ends up happening is we actually stop thinking intentionally. Maybe we harbor some hurt and some unforgiveness from the very people that we need to be inviting to do life with us, but we just can't bring ourselves to forgive. Maybe it's the, the past hurt that is keeping you from taking a risk again and putting yourself out there and actually inviting some. Maybe it's the fear of rejection that keeps you from inviting somebody that you know is isolated and alone, just like you're feeling and that you have the hope in Christ that maybe they need. But that fear of rejection gets in front of us and, and it just keeps us from making that simple invitation. It's so important that we understand that God created us not just to get saved, follow him, and wait until we die to go live in heaven for eternity. But he created us very much so to live a full and rich life today. And here's why. It says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Remember we did like 12 weeks through that. And we're like, oh, maybe this guy will get a clue. Because he just seemed very depressed. And he starts off like this. says, so what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their, way, their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night their minds cannot rest. It's all meaningless. So I decided there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. Don't worry, it's better. But have you ever found yourself here? Have you found yourself in this place just going, man, tomorrow, it's another Monday, I got to wake up, I got to go, go to my job because I got to get a paycheck because I got to pay the bills because I got to feed my kids because... I got to pay for this, that, or the other thing. And, and maybe at the end of it, maybe there's something left over for me. Or, and then you lay in bed going, you know, I thought my life was going to be different. Have you ever laid in bed just thinking, like, how did I get here? This wasn't how it was supposed to go. This wasn't my plan. I had a plan, and you're supposed to have a plan. And you find yourself spinning so what happens, and this is what this guy decides to do that we see happen so easily for us. Is he's almost right, but he misses it just a little. He says, so I decided there's nothing better to do than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction in work. And what happens is we will misplace our source of satisfaction and contentment into these gifts given to us by a creator, such as work that makes us feel purposeful, food and drink that sustains our life. And what we will do is we will find 
other things. We'll find created things and place them in front of the creator to cope with whatever anxiety or stress is overwhelming us. And I can speak to this today from very, very personal and real experience. One of the things I love about this church and Pastor Rich's leadership, and he's modeled it to me, and I try and embody it. And every time that he gets up to preach and we, we preach, we hope that we are inviting you just into our life. We don't claim to have it put together. We're not polished, but we invite you to have a firsthand look as we wrestle with the truth of God's word and figure out what this actually means and how we apply this to our life and how we can get through not just another day, but we can actually look forward with hope and anticipation to a brighter future. See, that had been me. I had been in this place where I tried to find all my satisfaction in my work and my identity was placed in, in what I did. And, and some of us, we find our identity in what we have. And for others, we find our identity in what other people say about us. Every time we miss the mark of who God says we are. We find ourselves in this place. I want to point out Solomon, he turns the corner and he figures it out. He says, then I realized these pleasures he's talking about, these things that he was finding satisfaction, they were from the hand of God. For who can eat or enjoy anything apart from him? Here's what this means. Solomon is starting to connect the dots that those things that he can settle for or he can choose to see them for what they are. They are gifts from the God of the universe. The way that we were created. Let me back up. We, we weren't created first, just so you know. The whole world and the universe around us was. I think that's important to note. Here's why. God creates, if we were to go back in Genesis and read it, God creates the earth and the mountains and the trees and the fruit and the animals and the seas and everything. And, and he says it was good. It was good. God created a good thing, a good earth. And then, and then he creates you and me. And then he places us in a garden surrounded by goodness, represent his glory for us to enjoy. He didn't create us to be drones. He created us to live full lives. Did he put them to work? Absolutely. Why? Because they needed a purpose. But he said, enjoy this. Every time you look at an animal, you look at a fruit tree, you take a bite of the right fruit, remember, remember me. Remember who I am. Remember who I've created you to be. God created, he created for us this amazing world full of beautiful, beautiful things where pleasure exists all around us. And he blesses us with these good and beautiful things every day. Here's what this means. This means that on your very worst day and on your very best day, you are blessed with pleasures that come right from the hand of God that tell you that you don't get these pleasures because you've earned them or deserve them, but because he is a God of grace and he graces you with good things because he is a good God. See, 
He didn't, we, we were made from dust. He formed us in his image, but then he gave us senses to experience tangibly, tactilely, and savor flavors in this world, to hear the beautiful sound of grandbabies, to see the landscape that he painted. I don't know about you, but I think we live in the most beautiful place on earth. Like, next time you're having a bad day, just look at the bakes and go like, all right, God, I see you. Because we don't have to look far. We just have to stop long enough to look around. See, God actually creates us. God created us to enjoy life in the world he created. Not the ones that we create or the kingdoms that we try and build for ourselves, but the world that he created... With all of its dysfunction, God didn't create that. That came after the fact, but we're not talking about that today. Ultimately, for this end, this end, to know his love and his grace, which are the things that compel us to enjoy him most of all. See, he put us here in this place so that we could experience his love and his grace every time that we laughed with friends. Every time that we look into the eyes of our husband or our wife and we remember, I don't deserve you or your love. Every time that we hear music play and it moves something in us and we're reminded we're not robots, but we are emotional beings that are stirred and capable of connecting not only with one another, but with a God who formed us. David writes in Psalms, he says, in Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5, he says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord, he repeats. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercy. Verse 5, write this down somewhere. The God of the universe fills my life with good things. With good things. So that my youth is renewed like eagles. Man, there's just something that happens when I remember that no matter how bad it may seem, no matter what's out of my control that I'm trying to grasp at, when I, when I stop long enough, I remember, especially in the world that we are blessed to live in, especially with the liberties that we get to experience and steward, it doesn't matter how bad we have it, we can look around and go, my life is still filled with good things because I am a child of a good God. But here's what happens when we stop enjoying those things and we stop making space to rest and enjoy God for who he is. We inevitably lose sight of those things. And then the wrong things get put in front. Here's where we get in trouble. A desire for good things, for a good thing, becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. Does that make sense? Let me, let me unpack this. 
A desire for a good thing becomes a bad thing when that desire becomes a ruling thing. So think about all the things that we get to enjoy. If we lose sight of why we get to enjoy those things and the purpose of enjoying those things and who ultimately is responsible for allowing us to enjoy those things, and we just chase that pleasure for pleasure's sake, what happens? It starts to rule our lives. It starts to become a little more dissatisfying every time, and we need more and more and more. And it's no longer enjoyable when, it's, when we're no longer content, and then we start seeking after comfort, trying to regain control. We just, we have to have something. And, and what happens is our, our need for God is replaced by our need for something that he created. Another way to think of it is like this. If you love the gifts and not the giver, then your heart will never be satisfied. But if you love the giver, your heart will be content and you will be able to enjoy his gifts while keeping them in their proper place. I went through this phase where um, I was a pastor and, and preaching, and, and I would really harp on like the Seahawks, not because they were bad, but because uh, of how much people would just worship them over God. And I was really convicted of it, because the Seahawks, in and of themselves, they're not a bad thing. It might be a bad team at times, but they're not a bad thing. Enjoying football is not a bad thing. But you look around at a world full of people that put so much wonder and attention and effort and investment and worship into something that is a good thing. But they don't put equal amounts of effort. And it would almost be awkward or weird if they were to ascribe such worship and praise to the God that says, hey, I want you to enjoy this. And it's not just football, it's so many things. And what it ultimately exposes, whatever commands the love of your heart also shapes the direction of your life. So the way in which we enjoy things, the way in which we pursue pleasure and enjoyment, whether or not we invite people into that for their sake, God's sake, or our own sake, it's going to expose that whatever commands the love of a heart is shaping the direction of your life. The thing that gets the most affection from you, the thing that gets the most attention from you, the thing that motivates you and compels you most is either worship of God or it's going to be attached to worshiping ourselves. And when we do that, we actually stop enjoying things. We can do activity. We can do the things. But have you ever been in that place where maybe that thing that you said to your neighbor, like it reached a point where you just didn't enjoy it anymore. Maybe there's a season of your life where the food didn't taste as good. Music didn't sound as nice. You couldn't really just find that peace. That friendship or that relationship that you used to experience so much love from had grown cold. Have you been in these seasons? And so you finally get to this place where you just, why bother? We get sucked back into this world of constant activity and constant, constant fear 
that whatever shakable ground we're standing on, the security that is surrounding us, that's keeping us safe, is going to be rattled. It's in that place that it's hard to enjoy anything. I know that place. I've been in that place. I'm coming out of that place. The joke when we were planning out the series, I had asked Rich to actually preach on this week, not knowing how much it was going to actually impact me. And the joke was, um, because I had never really had a hobby, and I didn't really enjoy life, but I've recently found something that I enjoy. It's called fishing. And it's because Rich, as my pastor and my boss and my friend, he's like, he invited me back to have this opportunity to do something that I enjoy doing, which is this, which is preaching, which is something I didn't think I wanted to do again. The last time I preached was July 7th, and I haven't preached since, and before that I'd been preaching once a month on a regular basis, trying to get better at this thing that I don't know why, but I enjoy doing. And I invited you guys into a story that I didn't go into a lot of detail about, but I, I, God in his timing had this story kind of unfolding in my life. And the two, the two points that I made were God's presence and purpose in our lives is more satisfying than our pursuit of comfort ever could be. The second point was God will allow pain to draw us back into his presence, which is the only place that our souls will be satisfied. See, and I stood on this platform and I preached those words to you, but really to me. See, I preached those words in, in the days that, that were just after finding out that a dream and a calling that I'd placed too much of my identity and purpose in wasn't going to go as I'd hoped. Along with that, it was just a couple days after I had to tell my wife that we were losing our insurance and half of our income and, and I was confused and I was hurt and I was scared and I was angry with God. I wanted to just walk away and say, this isn't, this isn't what you had. I can't accept this. But instead, I wanted to wallow there, but I knew that that wouldn't end any better for me, so I decided to turn to God to help make sense of what was going on and what he was doing in the midst of this confusing time. And it was there that he met me with grace and gentleness and deep conviction immediately. I was informed of a decision that was going to dissolve a portion of my role on June 18th. And on June 19th, as I crawled out of bed and I said, okay, God, let's try and figure this out. I open up a devotional, and on June 19th, God says this. The morning after this happens, he goes, through difficult relationships and circumstances, God works to expose your heart so that you will seek the grace that can be found only in him. I'm going to read this full devotion with you this morning. Where does your mind go? Where does your heart turn when difficulty enters your life? No one likes to suffer. No one enjoys dealing with the unexpected and the uncertain. We all like our plans to work and our dreams to come true. 
We all want a life that is comfortable and predictable. The normal person simply doesn't esteem the spiritual value of hardship. Because of this, it tends to be difficult for us to stay on God's agenda. If our goal for our lives is temporal personal happiness, whatever our definition of that may be, when we're going to live in an agenda, then we're going to live in conflict with our Savior. Many Christians and followers of Christ live right here, right there, right now. They say that they believe the truths of Scripture and they have placed their trust in the Messiah. But they live in an unspoken state of disappointment, irritation, impatience, or frustration with God and the world in and around them. This state is often characterized by this classic question, if God loves me, then why would he allow blank? If I had ever doubted that God's timing was perfect before that morning, I never will again. Has God ever just had something for you right when you needed it? To remind you, I'm not going to show you how it ends, but I'm going to tell you it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay, not because it's all going to get fixed or figured out today or tomorrow. You may have to sit in the pain for a bit, but I'm reminding you that I'm in it with you, and the purpose is to expose what I'm trying to make better in you, what I am transforming and changing in you. The things that you thought you'd surrender to me, I'm going to show you where you could surrender more and the goodness of my grace and my mercy that is waiting. See, the problem isn't with the question why. In that statement, if God loves me, then why would he allow blank? The problem isn't with the question why. It's the if statement that calls his love into question. That's the problem. It's when we say, if we make God's love contingent on something that we believe he might be allowing, we've missed it. His love for us is never failing, never ending. What happens is we find ourselves chasing comfort over choosing contentment. And it keeps us from enjoying the life that God invites us to live. And that was the place that I had been in. And I didn't know what I was going to do. But on June 19th, when I was deciding whether or not I was going to, like, throw it all in or keep trusting, God meets me with his word. Then he meets me with my wife. She doesn't stress out. She doesn't overreact she doesn't respond with fear she says you know what we need to do we're going to make this a summer of fun we're going to enjoy this summer as a family we don't know how I don't, it doesn't have to cost money we'll, we'll figure it out but we're just going to enjoy each other and enjoy this summer our kids were home from school and we moved out of our house and in with my sister and we moved into a neighborhood for the first time. And now our kids got to enjoy the summer by playing with other neighborhood kids, which they never got before. And there's lots of sermon illustrations that will come from that. <laughs> but we were able to just breathe and enjoy life together. She removed this burden that I had that I just wanted. I need to go figure it out. I need to fix it. I need to find a new job. I need to this, that, and the other thing. He's like, just breathe. It's going to be okay. 
work a part-time job for a little bit. I've never done that. And God surrounded me with people that not only invited me into their life, but they invited me to enjoy life, and they reminded me of the value in that. People in this church said, you know what? You need to enjoy life. Here's some gift cards. Take your wife out for dinner. Go see a movie. They expected nothing in return. She said, you need to remember that God is good, and he's put people around you, and he wants you to enjoy life. And it doesn't matter what you're going through. There's still time and moments to find his goodness and his grace around every corner. So my question for you today is this. What has God given to you to enjoy so that you can remember his grace and goodness? Where have you lost sight of it? What have you allowed to be in front of it? Worship team, you could come up. What's he given you to enjoy? What are the things that maybe you, maybe you're feeling a little conviction today that, yeah, I enjoy things, but it's for me. And it's, and it's more about me than it is about God and inviting other people into it that maybe you want to invite somebody to experience with you. Because when we invite people into enjoying our life with God, it does a couple of things. It shifts the focus from ourselves back to God and other people. It brings encouragement and hope to those around us who need it most. And most of all, it reminds us of his goodness, his grace, and his presence in everyday life. You were not created to become a drone. You were created in the image of the Almighty God to live life to the full. The Bible describes it as joy that's unspeakable and full of glory. That is the joy that God invites us to live with. But it's only found in freedom. It's only found when we release control of our circumstances or trying to fix it all or figure it all out. And it only happens when we say, I need to remove the, myself from some areas of my life and put God back in his rightful place.